Faith Factor Impact, episode number one. Refuel, reconnect, and get inspired. Hear from today's top nonprofit thought leaders. Let's go. I've seen strategic plans go wrong because management sat in the room and created a strategic plan in the vacuum. Let's go, Impact listeners. I'm Jesse Everline, your host, and I am ready to go. I'm thrilled to welcome our featured guest today, Jerry Bradley. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jesse. So excited to have you on board. Jerry is an executive for City Square and serves as the vice president of Human Resources. She is a highly engaged leader in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, serving in a number of ways to include an appointment on the Mayor's Star Council. And among other board appointments, she is a member of the Family Promise of Irving, a not-for-profit that supports families who are experiencing homelessness. On the show today, I look forward to sharing more about Jerry's journey and other ways she's working to extend her reach to make an impact in her community. So, Jerry, I briefly introduced you. Why don't you take a few minutes and share with us a little bit more about you personally? Thank you, Jesse. So, as you said, I work in human resources. I have about 11 years of experience in human resources. Started out in training and worked my way up into uh, now a vice president appointment and worked in a for-profit for in the banking industry as well as retail. And now I'm gladly serving in a not-for-profit and so have some well-rounded experiences that really allow me to uh, lend my talents and my gifts to the community as well. Excellent. Excellent, Jerry. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Jerry, on the show, we always start to show off with a reflection and a reflection is a way to get centered. It's a moment to just breathe amongst all the noise. It's a way to kind of get back to center. And so you've prepared your reflection. Why don't you take it from here and, and share with us? Yes. Well, I the one way I find my center is through scripture. I'm a Christian, and so um, Psalms 139 and 14 is my favorite scripture, and it says, I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. And so, Jesse, that helps center me because we have, uh, to your point, we have a lot of noise. We have a lot of things that are uh, draining our energies, um, discouraging so many issues that are pervasive in this community. And I just really like to remind myself that my strength comes from God and that he has already equipped us for everything that we need. And so that scripture really does, anytime I feel discouraged or I feel inadequate, that scripture, Psalms 139 and 14, really does uplift me. I love it. You know, what I really like about that, Jerry, is that that scripture in and of itself, it, it doesn't really matter what your religious persuasion is. I mean, the fact that you're speaking to, you know, that that moment where you can you can be confident in what's already been placed on the inside of you. Um, and if you tap into that in a real way, boy, it can make a big, a big difference. So thank you for sharing that. So, Jerry, you've had a lot of experiences, and I'm sure and confident you have a fantastic story. So you have shared with us a little bit about what you're doing today, but kind of talk us through your journey. Tell me a little bit about the steps you took to be to get to where you are today, and, and we'll go from there. Just really want to want to hear the steps. How did you go from 
where you where you were in the banking industry from training and now as the vice president of human resources. Kind of talk us through that journey. Yes, I well, it's been an interesting journey, Jesse, and uh, definitely a faith journey and a, a faith walk. I started out uh, when I graduated from college in 2004. I decided that I was going to work in employee communications. Um, my major was corporate communications and public affairs. And so at first I thought I would go into PR, but I had an internship with a local restaurant chain my senior year in high school, and it really um, allowed me to see the impact that human resources can have on the organization and on people. I've always known that people were my strength. I've always been able to connect with people from all walks of life, um, people of all ages, no matter what age I was, I always was able to connect with people. So human resources seemed like a natural fit for me. So I had my first foray into HR and employee communications for um, a restaurant chain called Rockfish, and I helped them with the marketing as well. And so then I went on to work. I worked at Target. And, and so in Target, I had a chance to do a management rotation where I experienced all aspects of the business. And so then still found myself uh, very interested in HR. And so from there, I was able to go into training um, with Washington Mutual. Chase acquired Washington Mutual back in 2009. But at that time, um, I was interested in training. I realized that I had a strength in being able to relay information and articulate information in a way that people could receive it. And so and during that time at Washington Mutual, I worked as a trainer in commercial lending and also had a chance to do a little bit of recruiting for the uh, sector in which I worked. I worked in commercial lending. And so it really allowed me to see all aspects of the business. And so I worked there for about five years. And then during the during the Chase acquisition, I started asking myself a lot of different questions about what I wanted to do next. Um, my job was eliminated, and so it really was God's way of pushing me into what was next. And the good thing, I, the one thing I do want to share is that God has revealed to me the importance of being prepared at every station in life. During the um, acquisition, I probably had about 90 days um, notice when I received word that my position was being eliminated. And I took that time to go and get what's called a PHR, Professional and Human Resources Certification. And because I decided if this is going to be my profession, I need to be invested and prepared. And so I did that, and that really did set me up for my next job. I knew, and I know that networking is something that you talk about on your show. Networking is how I got my current position I knew someone who worked for City Square, which at that point was called Central Dallas Ministries. And I just happened to be at a job fair, and they said, you know what, our HR manager is retiring. We need an HR manager. And so I said, I, I don't really know if I want to go into nonprofit because I just turned down a job with City because I felt like I needed to do something else. My reach needed to be into the community, but I didn't know how that looked. And so God really provided this opportunity for me. And City Square, I became the HR manager of City Square, went into my interview, and they instantly upgraded the position from an HR manager to, a, to an HR director position because of my experience and because of the level 
that they wanted. They wanted to elevate HR in the organization at that point. And so I've been at C-Square. It'll be seven years in March. And um, after working at C-Square as the HR director for three and a half years, I was promoted to the vice president of human resources. So um, an interesting journey, a lot of hard work, a lot of lessons learned along the way, but definitely rewarding. Wow. Wow. I mean, Jerry, you shared a lot of different steps in your journey that really stuck out to me. A couple different things I'd mentioned. One, you talked uh, about connecting with people, kind of your your ability to connect with people. And that's so huge. You know, in this in the not-for-profit sector, it's it's all about those connections and our ability to do that in a real and meaningful way really makes a big difference um, in terms of us being able to get things accomplished and moving forward. The other thing you mentioned was the importance of being prepared being prepared. You know, one of the things on the show that we try to emphasize to folks, and and you mentioned this as you were talking about your journey, is being invested in yourself. And you talked about your commitment to the profession and you needed to invest in yourself. And so you went and got more education and training and certifications so that when the time came, you'd be ready to go. So that that's awesome, Jerry. Um, Some really great um, points uh, along your journey. And so I appreciate you sharing that. You know, Jerry, when you've reached a place where where you are now and you're now an executive in an organization that's making a difference in the community, individuals that have not quite reached that point really kind of see individuals like you as untouchable, like there's nothing that could possibly be going wrong in your life. But, you know, the reality is life is filled with a lot of different things that come up. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is there always, what I say is there's going to be a valley moment. And so tell us a little bit about your most challenging valley moment. Like, what was it? How did you feel? Like, I want to be right there in the middle of uh, that valley moment to to make it kind of real. So people understand that, you know, it's okay. Um, all of us go through them, but inspires with uh, your valley moment. And what was it all about? Uh, great question, Jesse. And uh, definitely a good point to make, because as you said, and, and I feel like so many people do want to save faith and, and portray this image that everything is perfect. And that's not the the best way to connect with people. So my my valley moment really I I think back to before I started with City Square. I had been fired, laid off, and quit a job all by the age of twenty six. And really was starting to doubt my ability and my um really figuring out what my path was, what my purpose was in life. And it was interesting because in every one of those transitions, I really thought, you know, why is this happening to me? I'm highly educated, went to a great school, did everything right, and still end up facing these challenges. And so I really, what I really did was channeled, uh, again, channeled my strength from God and started to ask myself some really hard questions. What was it that I needed to do to prevent this from happening again? And if there were issues that were out of my realm of control, what could I do to be proactive? And 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 also the importance of just surrounding myself with the right people. I've also I've always been fortunate to have a really great support system, have really great friends and family who encourage me. 
but during those valley moments, it's so critical to not necessarily always have people who tell you what you want to hear because you need some of that critical feedback as well and some constructive, encouraging criticism, but people who will be honest with you but also be loving. Uh, the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And so I found that those people were very critical for me in my valley moment and continue to be to this day because I think that even when you're not, even if you're in a peak moment, you're not in the valley moment, you still continue, you need to continue to do some introspection, continue to ask yourself hard questions and make sure that you have the right people around you as well. So I, I would say that that was a very tough time for me, Jesse, um, before I started uh, with a city square. And I really draw a lot of strength from remembering how low that moment was for me and where I am now, but not lose sight of the fact that that could very well happen again. Jerry, you, you shared so much, so much realness um, with your Valley Moment story that it's almost like I, I don't even know where to start with everything that you shared. So, I mean, just to recap, you talked about, you know, asking yourself tough questions. You talked about, you know, surrounding yourself with great people that are not just going to tell you what you want to hear, but tell you the truth and do that in love. I mean, that's a big deal. It's like I'm not doing this to hurt you, but to help you. Um, and then, and then at the end of it all, you talked about like drawing your strength from, um, that moment that was really difficult. But now when you look back, you're like, man, you, you can draw strength from it because you learned so much and it had so much to do with who you are today. Um, but if I could challenge you and ask, what was the one thing, if you would, that you learned from that, that, you know, listeners today can kind of take away from that, from that Valley moment? Oh, that's a good question, Jesse. Um, I would say, oh, I learned so much, but I would say that Valley moment, um, again, I'm going to go back to one of my previous points about being prepared. I think that even though I had done a lot of things that I could, I think the Valley moment just revealed to me the need to broaden my network to get a little more skills and training, to ask better questions, and to really make sure that I am the best person that I need to be when I'm entering a situation, whether that's a job. In that, situ- in that situation, it was a job. But I really, I will say that it, it challenged me to make sure that I was really striving for excellence and bringing my A-game in everything that I did. So I think that's the that's the one thing that I really drew from that from that situation. Love it. Bring your A game impact listeners. Take that message to heart. So, Jerry, we're going to transition a little bit here and, and we're going to talk about impact leadership. Um, you know, what we say on the show is that, you know, the difference between surviving and thriving in a lot of cases is dependent upon effective leadership. And so what I'd like you to do is kind of share your, what you believe to be kind of the most impactful um, thing that's happened to you in your leadership journey. Um, what has been a thing that you feel like got you to where you are today and um, leadership has, has been a great part of that? Oh, I, I would say two things, Jesse. I would say, self-awareness and agility. And I would say what I have found is the more I know about myself, the more effective of a leader I am, the, the better I can relate to and 
lead my team, the better I can be flexible and relate to my peers and even with my with my manager and with my leaders as well. I just found that when I have any blind spots or things that I can't see about myself or if I can't be honest with where I am right now, what I'm feeling or what I could have done wrong or better in a situation, then I'm not really in a place where I can lead effectively. So I think self-awareness is huge. And I find that the more attuned and the more ownership that I take, the better of a leader I become. I would also I would also say agility because being flexible is huge, especially in the nonprofit sector. My title right now is Vice President of Human Resources, but I also have recently been asked to take on workforce development. So that means that I lead internally with our staff, but I also lead externally in providing jobs for people in the community. And so being flexible and being agile is hugely important, knowing that your skills are transferable and can translate to different roles and knowing that somebody might call upon you at any moment and being ready for that is huge. Wonderful. Self-awareness and agility. So how do you define effective leadership? And and talk to us a little bit about the specific traits or attributes um, that you believe an effective leader has um, and, and needs to have. I would say, Jesse, um, effective leadership is the ability to inspire and lead a team to produce a certain result. And when you're really, and when I say inspire, I feel, I feel if you're if you're an effective leader, people aren't just clocking in at eight o'clock, leaving at five o'clock, you know, doing going through the day to day mundane tasks or just doing their job. They're really inspired to do more, and that's really you produce an engaged team if you're effective. And I think some of the attributes attributes of that effective leadership, I feel, are again uh, self awareness. Um, I think honesty, ownership, uh, accountability as a leader, you have to be able to admit when you're wrong. You need to be able to own an issue and also vision casting. A leader needs to be able to cast a vision that people can hold on to, that people want to be a part of. And I think enough leaders don't pay enough credence to vision casting. Sometimes we're so focused on the day-to-day activities and getting the job done that we don't take the time to come up and really paint a picture and cast a vision for what we want our teams to accomplish. And I feel like effective leaders do that. And as a result, they have teams that follow. I love it. I love it. Now I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to get a little bit deeper. So when you talk about casting, you know, that vision and creating that picture, you know, how do you do that? So for folks that may be struggling in that area and maybe trying to get some pointers for, you know, how, where do I start? You know, what, what kind of things would you say you need to do to, to make that real in terms of, you know, how do you translate those things? Good question. I would say um, definitely start with goals. Ask yourself, where are you now? Where do you want to be? And, a, and it can be, you know, people like to say set smart goals. Um, that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. So you, I, I say think about those smart attributes and 
try to set goals that your team can really, that attainable goals, you want it to be something that you can see. And ask yourself real questions and also engage your team in that. So many, I've seen strategic plans go wrong because management sat in the room and created a strategic plan in the vacuum. Ask your team. What you, sometimes the team are the people that can see the things that we can't see as leaders. So ask your team, what are some things that you think we could do? What are we, how can we improve? What are some, uh, what are some things that you would like to see us do that we're not currently doing? So I think set goals, set smart goals and involve your team. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more on involving your team. You know, the funny thing is, So many leaders think that they have to be the smartest person in the room, but um, engaging the individuals that work alongside you and and are, are, you know, kind of boots on the ground, if you will, can be a huge missed opportunity if folks don't don't capitalize and tap into um, that talent that that they have recruited on their team. But for whatever reason, we um, we don't take the time to engage them. So thanks for sharing that. So, Jerry, what are the top skills that you think are needed to be successful in your line of work and that perhaps were not as critical in the past? Oh, I I would say now, um, again, the ability to be agile. Um, people these days, you're expected to do more with less. You're expected to produce more. Nine times out of ten, you may have a job description or a title that says one thing, but you're doing two or three other things. And so no longer is the day when you can say, that's not in my job description. Most times you're going to be doing things that are not in your job description and you're going to expect to have skills that maybe you weren't expected to have 10 years ago. Also, being able to ask questions, innovation is huge right now. And you're you're finding companies that are hiring people to be innovative, to um, figure out what's the next big idea. How can we think outside of the box? And so being innovative and having those strategic and critical thinking skills are huge. Also, uh, the ability to connect with people. Social media is huge right now. Um, So you see companies creating jobs and people making a living out out of connecting with people on social media. So even if you're not um, a large social, social media um, participator, if, you, if that's not something that you do personally, just know that you might be required to do that professionally. All companies are wanting to get their brand out there, wanting people to be connected um, with what they're about and wanting to draw people in to their products or to their service. And so to have to be social media, um, to be aware and to be at least competent in social media in those applications is really huge right now. Huge, huge. No matter what industry you're in, it's uh, it's here to stay, folks. So figure it out real quick. Um, so I know, right? I mean, people may be lagging behind, but it ain't going anywhere. It's only going to grow. Uh, Jerry, yeah. so leadership is a big deal. And, you know, we really, again, talk about how it, it can be the difference between surviving and thriving. Um, but we also know it takes a team. It, it takes a team to get all of the work done that you want to get done. So tell us, how do you and your organization attract and retain top talent? We so because we are a nonprofit, but we are we're considered a mid-sized nonprofit. So we have about 130 employees, and we have decided to position ourselves in the market to lead the market and pay. 
for case managers. Social workers and case managers are a huge part of what we do in our effectiveness. And so we have decided to pay more than other nonprofits to get the best social workers and case managers in our door. And one of our retention strategies is to be a benefit-rich organization. And so we have decided um, in a time when a lot of nonprofits and even for-profit entities, because of healthcare reform and just the rising costs to um, provide benefits and to employ employees, are really drawing back and cutting back on benefits, we have decided to really expand our benefit offerings, allow people flexible schedules um, because of the uh, dynamics of scheduling and, you know, the family dynamics are changing. So we want to, we want people to know that we want them to have a balanced lifestyle and have work-life balance. So we stress work-life balance. We pay people well. We provide benefits. We have a very generous PTO policy, so we have pay time off instead of sick leave or requesting days off. If you need a day off, just take it because we know that nonprofit work is hard work and we're most times putting our 130% into everything we do. And so we want our benefits to reflect that. So, um, And also uh, just the leveraging our employment brand. Our brand has become really noticeable and really um, so something that people really hold on to our mission in Dallas and um, in the region. And so we're really, we leverage that as well. We have people who want to work in nonprofit and know that we're doing um, very innovative things in, in the social sector. And so people really want to be a part of what we're doing. So we leverage our, our brand as well. I love that. Now it sounds like you guys are in a fantastic position where you have, you know, kind of been afforded this opportunity to keep your benefits package and pay at a rate that's uh, competitive in the marketplace. And you specifically say kind of leading, um, you know, unfortunately, not many nonprofits can do that. So I applaud you and and the leadership in your organization for, number one, taking that stance and secondly, putting yourself in the position to achieve that. There are some other things that people perhaps need to grab onto because they may be thinking, you know, well, we don't have the, the, the dollars to necessarily afford that. We're a small shop. Um, we're not even considered a midsize. Um, but you talked about things like leveraging your, your organizational brand. Um, and, and you mentioned yeah. some other actionable things like what are some of those specific things that don't necessarily always cost you money, but it may maybe, maybe cost you a little bit of effort. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Definitely a good question, Jesse, and something that we have to work at as well. We have a pretty large budget, but about 95% of our budget goes to direct services. So only about 5% of that is spent on our employees. So we have to be very creative as well. So definitely identify with our smaller nonprofits and our um, neighbors who have to deal with that reality as well. So some of the things that we do is really encourage our managers to know, to get to know your staff. Uh, employee engagement has shown that if people feel like you really care about them, they are going to work 50% harder. You're going to have 50% more engaged employees just because they feel like you care about them. So when employees start, we give managers just a one-page questionnaire to give their employees to figure out when their birthday is, simple things like that that make a huge difference. At one point, we had employees saying, you know, I'll be walking down the hallway and people won't know it's my birthday. And that was important to me. 
So we arm and equip our managers with the information and just probing questions to get to know their employees. We also are huge on staff recognition. We have recognition at our monthly all-staff meeting. We also have on-the-spot recognition and cards at all of our locations where people, if they see somebody doing good, they can reward them on the spot. Um, we also we also allow employees to share their stories. One thing we found is that we share a lot of stories externally, but we weren't sharing our stories internally. And so something that we launched about two years ago was called I Fight Poverty Because. So it's an internal campaign that we're running where during our president's um, a monthly or weekly email that he sends out, and also during our monthly off-staff meeting, we feature an employee and allow them to say why they work for City Square, why they are engaged in the fight against poverty, because it really does remind people why they do what they do, and it allows everyone else around them to see that the fight is so much bigger than us. So I think nonprofits, we already have a built-in opportunity to leverage our mission and really tie into personal values and why people stay and continue to work and fight within the organization. Fantastic. Thank you so much for drilling that down and giving folks some actionable things they can take and do literally tomorrow. Uh, like just saying happy birthday, <laughs> big deal. Um, so I want to stay in this, this leadership space, but, but I want to kind of get more specific about you. So, you know, there's a lot of research kind of out there that talks about operating in your area of strength to get the greatest results. And, you know, we, we have this belief that God has given each and every individual this genius level talent. And, you know, it's the thing that you are the best at the, the, it's really easy for you. And so because there's so much research about getting better results, when you kind of operate in what we call the genius zone, I want to know from you, Jerry, like, what would you consider your genius talent? Oh, that's a great question. I would say connecting with and getting the best out of people. I'm operating in my genius zone in really fulfilling my purpose and I'm connecting with people. I have, you know, I'm in a master's program right now and I'm and I'm connecting with people who are in my cohort, but I'm on the street the next day connecting with homeless people. And I call the, uh, our homeless neighbors, my friends as well, because I learned so much from those people as well. Um, also with kids, I love connecting with youth, And so and in that, I have this uncanny ability that God has given me to really encourage people and bring out the best in them. And so I thank God for that. And so I definitely would say that that's my genius zone. Connecting with people. I love it. I love it. Happy to hear that you're kind of always in that space and, you know, figure it out because the, the sooner you figure out what your genius zone is, that strength that just comes so easy to you. Um, you'll be the better for it and the, and the people around you will be the better for it. And so, um, Drew, let me, let me ask you this follow up question about this. I don't want to miss this opportunity. Like, how did you come to know that that was the thing that was just easy for you and it was your genius talent? Oh, I would say because I could not get away from it. It was something that. God continued to allow me to see that I, I would be at the grocery store, Jesse, and there I would be with three or four friends and the cashier would strike up a conversation with me 
or I would be on the street corner and somebody just started talking to me out of nowhere. And it happens to me every single place I go. Um, so I just realized people, for some reason, think I'm relatable. I, I like, and then in turn, I started to think I was more relatable and therefore was open to connecting with more people. And that awareness has allowed me to not only have opportunities and avenues that I wouldn't have had otherwise, but it's allowed me to also connect people with resources that they might not have had otherwise. So I feel like God continued to basically put, it was very, it's glaringly clear to me that this was my strength and that I need to continue to exploit that strength and continue to build on it. Yeah. I love it. Look for the signs. It's right in your face. You just got to, got to take a moment and look. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's let's transition again here. I want to talk a little bit about your community work and like tell me like what are you, what are you and your organization doing right now uh to serve your community that most excites you? Oh, um I would say because this is something that we just launched 2 weeks ago, every summer for the past 7 years, we have served the community through a mobile feeding program called Food on the Move. And it's a partnership with PepsiCo. And they want, they have a program, an internal program within their organization called Food for Good. But they wanted to take the program to scale and really serve communities and particularly children in the summertime because there is a huge food insecurity issue in the summertime when kids do not receive the lunches that they receive year-round during the school year. And so it excites me to see people who are willing to serve the community. The re- the only reason we're able to do this program, we serve about 30,000 meals in the summer. And basically, apartment complexes, community centers, um, impoverished communities in Dallas, Waco, San Antonio, and Austin. And so the only reason we're able to do this is through what we call what are called AmeriCorps members. It's a domestic peace corps program that's funded by the government. And these are people of all ages who agree to take low wage stipends to work in nonprofit organizations. And so I'm inspired and excited when I see people who are who range from the ages of eighteen to sixty out in the community serving meals in the summertime to make sure that our kids are fed. So that excites me, Jesse, and um, I'm just thankful to be a part of it. Awesome, Jerry. Now, now talk to me a little bit about, you know, on the show, we, we really encourage people to measure um, all of the things that they do with data. And so it sounds like you guys just launched a program, but um, how do you how do you feel like you guys are going to to measure the impact that you're actually having with either this program or other programs that uh, you all have hosted? Yes, um, measurement is huge. Partnering with our program managers and our administrative partners and saying, asking those questions: How does success look? Does it mean that we are um, impacting hunger? Um, by a certain percentage? Does it mean that we've improved by 20% or 10%? And so that's an organized effort that we have within our organization right now, Jesse, is to make sure that we're measuring those outcomes towards effectiveness. So we are, that's something that we're working on as a, as an organization. 
I love it. But you did you did share something that I think is is perhaps just an easy starting place for people is simply asking the question, what does success look like? You know, um, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and, you know, one of the quotes that I, I often can you know, say to myself and, and to other people that I'm with, Stephen Covey um, wrote in this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective if People, um, be- begin with the end in mind. Um, and yeah. so if you start off with, well, where, where do I want to end up at the end of it? Um, you're more likely to hit that target. But um, so how does success look? That That's really great. What's the one thing that you're most passionate about um, in the work that you do? I'm most passionate when people find their purpose. Being in HR, I am in the position where whether I'm advocating for a certain performance improvement plan or a certain strategic plan or a development um, program or training program for our staff, I am most excited about my work when I realize that people see their potential and they and they and they're walking in their purpose. I've seen people who were formerly homeless and who became employed with us and realize that they enjoy ministering to people and giving back to the community. And now their managers leading other people in in their in their faith journey and in their walk in the community. And I am just excited and inspired by that. And that really compels me to want to do more when I see people discover what they're meant to do. And as you said earlier, they realize what their genius zone is and they embrace it fully and move forward in that. Awesome. Dree, if I could, on the heels of that, ask you this, if you could give your younger self, if you can go back and talk to little, little Dree, um, you're not, you know, you're still young, but uh, if you could go back and give yourself some advice and what would that advice be? Um, don't be so hard on yourself. I think that um, I, as I've walked along and I've traversed, I've realized Life is hard. We are going to face trials and issues. Um, you're going to run up against uneventualities and you're going to experience things. And so I think telling my younger self to not be so hard on myself, don't be so critical on myself, um, speak positive words, don't let the little things get you down, don't let little little um, burdens or don't make a, a mountain out of a, a molehill I would tell my younger self to be easier on yourself and speak more positively to yourself. Speak positive words to yourself. I like it. So, Jaree, before we close the show off, I want to ask you, what book would you recommend to our listeners that perhaps you uh, you have found insightful? And then uh, before you go, uh, if you share one tip or action our listeners can take to make an impact, say, in the next one to two weeks, and then we'll sign off and go from there. I like it. Um, one of the books that I've read within the past year that has been extremely impactful for me is called Influencer, The Power to Change Anything. And it's by the author who wrote Crucial Conversations, which is another uh, book and program that I highly recommend to listeners. I greatly, I have greatly benefited from Crucial Conversations and Crucial Confrontations. Those are two books and also training programs that are huge and really give you actionable ways to have better and more impactful conversations with people um, and also to confront 
and to have healthy confrontations. I I am a strong advocate of both of those books. I highly recommend Influencer. Before we leave the show, just share one tip or action for our listeners that they can take in the next one to two weeks to make an impact in their community, and then we'll sign off. I would say um, ask your team, what can you do better? Ask somebody in the community, what can I do to help you? What can we do to make your community a better place? You will be surprised at the impact that those questions will have both internally and externally. Boom. Folks, my mentor says the difference between the you now and the you later are the people you meet and the books you read. And you've been listening to Jaree Bradley, and she just rocked the mic. Jaree, thank you for joining us on the show and for making an impact in your community. When you have a chance, everyone, head over to faithfactorimpact.com, where you can access the show notes page for this episode by simply typing in the search bar, Jaree Bradley. And as always, until next time, let's go make an impact.